Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver, and I'm here with my co-anchor and partner in crime and sister, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. Great to be here. Yeah. How are you? You know, I'm doing really well. I'm enjoying my new desk. I got a new desk for my birthday. My new old desk, as you know, it is this pretty little, um, it's called a spinet desk. It's a little antique desk that's two levels and uh, it just works for my, you know, like my little mini recording studio so much better. And I even got a sound screen that goes in front of me, which is really interesting. I'm playing around with my positioning and stuff. You know, when you do a podcast, you're always messing with your sound and your lighting. It just never seems to be right. But <laughs> that's <laughs> what I've been yeah. Right. That's what I've been doing. I've been really enjoying that because it's it's fun to. Uh, try to make it better. I have a big rug coming that's going under here. One of my problems is that my house is hardwood mm-hmm. and that's so hard to not be echoey. So mm-hmm. hard. So I'm putting a big, nice rug under this desk and then the sound screen in front of me. And I'm hoping maybe to pull some of the echo out. That's nice. the plan anyway. That sounds good. Well, yeah. you sound good and your desk is darling. We had the privilege of going to go pick it up. We've been on a birthday rescue mission for Rhonda since she's, uh, you know, still quarantined. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, it came from this really cool old antique store that uh, we love. And my kids have never been in there before. Oh, haven't and they? So, oh my gosh. No. So, yeah. And so, of course, my kids were all home over the weekend for the holiday. So I was like, you guys have to come in the store. You will fall in love. Oh, it yeah. is this it's called a red barn antique store, but it's not a barn. It's, it's, it's country store boutique is what it's called. Okay. Oh, I call it the red barn. <laughs> I know. I've That's not really the name though. <laughs> it's this enormous ancient building. And the, like the floors are like every, I don't know how to describe it. Everything about this building is so old. And yeah. We loved it. The kids loved it. They absolutely fell in love with all kinds of things in there. Most especially the two cats. Yes. Our two cats. It's such an old building that, uh, and it's, it's monstrous. And there's two story. Well, there's three stories and heating it. They have these giant old wood stoves to try Mm -hmm. and heat it in winter. And it's still kind of chilly in there, but it's, uh, and then there's the cats wandering around. It's just the most charming place. But the most hilarious part of this, there's a basement. Part of the basement does have yeah. antiques in it. And there's a sign at the top of the stairs that says, if you are afraid of snakes, do not come into the basement. <laughs> so clearly they must have murder snakes down there in the summertime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I've been there many times. I've never been in the basement. I appreciated the sign. I heeded the warning. <laughs> I have been in the basement multiple times. I'm not afraid of snakes, but uh, I've never seen one in there. Haven't you? That oh, that's funny. Killed me. I had to make all of my kids come and read the sign. Oh. <laughs> so funny. My friend Melanie owns this place, and mm-hmm. it's such a cool store, and Wonderful. I just love it. But, yeah, I've been really feeling, you know, when you're young and you buy furniture, you buy the cheapest, whatever. 
have to put it together yourself with 900 Allen wrenches kinds of stuff. And as I've gotten older, I've just really, I've been, we've been slowly replacing the furniture in our house for a few years now with better stuff. Yeah. And I decided that when it comes to like wooden furniture for desks and entertainment centers and things like that, I don't want to buy that crappy black and glass and whatever stuff anymore that I want to buy old, sturdy, solidly made antique kinds of things. And so that's where the reason for this desk uh, came is that I needed, I had a giant desk in my office that was way too big, took Mm -hmm. up like two thirds of the room and I don't need anywhere near that. I really just need a recording area. And so I'm really excited about this and, and, you know, replacing my new, you know, new-ish crappy furniture for better old stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good plan. I love it. Well, it's a great desk and I'm glad you had a good birthday. Yes, I did. I had a great birthday. Really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I have a case today, a cold read for you. Okay. Uh, This is a listener suggestion. You guys, you know, we have our new website, truecrimeparanormalpodcast.com. And there's a spot there at the bottom that you can suggest a case. And man, have you guys come through in spades. Yes, so much. So yeah, I dug through the list and found a case that I wanted to present and I've been researching it. So that's, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to give to you today. So I'm going to present the case and then Christy's going to give us a cold read on, you know, what she thinks happened here and where Mm -hmm. she thinks this person has gone. So this is a, a guy named Bryce. Laspia. Okay. Lapisa. Sorry. Lapisa. Laspisa. Lapisa. Okay. L-A-S-P-I-S-A. Laspisa. Laspisa. Okay. okay. Yep. And he disappeared in August of 2013. Okay. In California. So he graduated from Naperville High School in 2012. He was a football player, a baseball player, really athletic, smart kid, really had everything going for him. And his parents retired and they moved from Illinois. Oh, sorry. They had been in Illinois to uh, Laguna Niguel, California. And a short time after that, he moved to Chico, California. Chico was about 450 miles away from his folks. So he moved there. He was starting his sophomore year at Sierra College. He uh, was a graphic and industrial design major and just was Mm -hmm. doing awesome. Yeah, his roommate was a good friend of his. He had a beautiful girlfriend named Kim that he was really close to. Uh, But something shifted for him the week of the 30th of August. He was just not acting like himself. He was just off out of sorts, uh, was acting weird. And nobody was quite sure what was going on. On the 26th of August, this is a Monday, first day of the semester, And Kim thought he was acting erratically. She thought he was acting Mm -hmm. like just not himself. Mm -hmm. And she discovered that he had taken a a pill for ADHD. uh, But he doesn't have an ADHD uh, prescription. He took a pill that belonged to someone else. Vivance? Vivance. Vivance. Mm -hmm. Uh, To help him stay awake, he was playing video games all night with his roommate. And he had taken this Mm -hmm. pill. Now, his roommate says that he's been drinking a lot more than normal as well. So just not himself. So in the days that followed, things just get worse. He gave away a pair of diamond earrings that his mother had given to him. 
mm-hmm. and some other possessions. He gave someone his Xbox, which was really mm-hmm. weird. He was a gamer and gave away his Xbox. And then he broke up with Kim out of the blue. Mm-hmm. So everything just doesn't make any sense. Then on the 28th, he shows up at her house. So again, this is in the span of like three days. Yeah. He shows up at her house. And then he calls his mom and says he's at Kim's house and she won't give him back his car keys. And so Kim gets on the phone and talks to his mom and says, there's something wrong. I don't want to give him his keys because he's acting really weird. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't think he's safe. I don't think he should be driving. Mm-hmm. And apparently earlier that day, his roommate had also called his mother and told her that he was there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so Bryce gets on the phone with his mom and tells her he's completely fine and he can leave Kim's. He's safe to drive. He's just going to go back to his apartment. So he convinces Kim and and mom convinces Kim, let's go ahead and give him his keys back. He's going to go back to his apartment. It's okay. This is at 1130 PM. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, he does not go home. He gets on the I-5 and he starts driving towards his parents. Now, remember, they are 450 miles away. This Mm. isn't a short jaunt. No. So at 1 a.m., Karen misses a call from his phone. And at this point, his parents are beside themselves. You know, something is way off. He's acting really weird, but he's headed towards them. I think they're just kind of thinking, you know, we're just going to keep, you know, encouraging him and get him home. And then we'll figure out what in the hell's going on, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, Anyway, she misses a call from him at 1 a.m. And at that point, he they believe he was about an hour away from his apartment. A few hours later, later in the morning at 11 a.m., they get a voicemail from him. Uh, he used their credit card because he ran out of gas in Kern County and put $20 worth of fuel on their credit card. So he's making his way towards them. Mm-hmm. So... She wanted him to come to their house right away, come straight there. And he said he would, but and he wanted to talk to her, but after hours and hours, he hadn't showed up. Mm-hmm. So she calls the tire shop where he had gotten fuel, and one of their employees actually goes out to look for him. And they discover he's sitting in the same spot that he was when they helped him. He hasn't moved. Oh, my gosh. And he's sitting in the car. The employee says his eyes were a bit red, but other than that, he seemed fine. He says he's fine. He said he was just getting some rest. And so they said, okay, fine, and, and, and left him there. So about 12.30 p.m., she speaks to Bryce, and he says that he'll be at their house by about 3 p.m. that afternoon. Uh, but six hours later, he's still not home, and he's not answering the phone. And his parents are frantic at this point, and they report him missing. So the California Highway Patrol find him, and he's sitting in his car in a little town called Buttonwillow. And so they had already known from talking to his parents that uh, some he was acting erratically. So they go ahead and search the car. They're looking for drugs, for alcohol, for something, nothing. There's no drugs. Mm -hmm. There's no alcohol in the car. He passes a field sobriety test. He seems fine. And he tells them he's fine. And he hadn't actually broken the law or done anything wrong. 
So the California Highway Patrol just leave him in his car and ask him to please call his mother. Mm -hmm. So finally at 11 p.m., he calls her. So now this has been going on for 24 hours, this whole saga. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gets some more fuel and he buys a drink. About 2 a.m., he calls his mom again. He tells her he got off the I-5 for a little while, but now he's gotten back on and he's on his way to her house. Just a few minutes past, and he calls her again to say he's no longer on the I-5, that he needed to pull over and get some sleep. And, you know, as far as his mother knows at that point, he'd been awake for 48 hours. So she was actually really glad that he was going to get some sleep because she was really worried about what was happening here, you know. But he didn't pull over and get some sleep. He drove another hour and a half to a place called Castic Lake. Castic Lake. Mm -hmm. And so sometime between 4.20 a.m. and 5.15 a.m., his car is found abandoned by Castic Lake by law enforcement who had arrived there for a training exercise. So the lake's about two hours from his parents' house. They found the vehicle 15 feet down a ravine on the passenger side. So it was at the bottom of a 25-foot embankment. It was across from the lake's main boat access road. The back window was broken out, and the police think that he broke out the back window to get out of the car. There was a little bit of blood in the car, but it wasn't a lot, so they didn't really think he'd suffered a serious injury. But uh, he had left the scene. He left all of his belongings in the car. His clothes were in the trunk. His phone and laptop and wallet were in the car. His bag was on the back seat. He seemed to have left everything. Mm -hmm. We did obtain some closed caption TV footage near the area that showed him at 2.15 driving along Lake Hughes Road near uh, Castic Lake. They drove up the same road again just before 4.30 p.m. The track pattern from the embankment down to The bank led police to think that the car went down the bank at high speed and no brakes were used. They conducted a thorough and extensive search of the area. They couldn't find him. Uh, They used dogs, helicopters, volunteers, scuba divers, searched the lake. The lake's about 40 miles northwestern of downtown Los Angeles. They everything. They looked, they searched everything. And just with absolutely nothing to go on they there was one spot where the dogs picked up a scent near a place called government cove they tracked a path that uh suggested that maybe he got out of there and walked near to a gas station or to near a gas station but nobody had ever seen him then on the 4th of september 2013 so this is a little bit later i mean not very you know we're only talking what, less than a month, Mm -hmm. and they've been doing all of this searching, a jogger sees a brush fire there and on Lake Hughes Road, right near Castic, where all of this happened. And firefighters show up to tackle the brush fire and discover that the fire was a burning body. So the bodies burned too badly to immediately identify the person's sex or identity. And so, you know, his family's just on pins and needles and an autopsy reveals that it was not Bryce. 
Yeah. It was someone who was an, an older, a man that was older than him named Lamondre Dion Miles, who had been shot several times in the torso and his body had been dumped there and set on fire. And that was a murder. Unrelated. Un- yeah, unrelated. Yeah, unrelated. Not related. Yeah. So once they determined the body's not Bryce's, they called the search off. They said they've pretty much exhausted the whole area. They found nothing. They're just at a standstill. They just don't know where he's gone or what's happened. So his parents, of course, uh, have searched tirelessly for him. And they're still hoping that he shows up. They did hire a private investigator, but they pretty much turned up nothing. They've had a lot of tips and sightings, possible sightings of their son in the area, but nothing that has uh, borne any fruit whatsoever. So up to this point, nothing. There have been multiple sightings of people seeing uh, a redheaded kid about his age. And that's one thing. He has bright red hair. Uh, five feet, 11, five, five feet inches, 11 or five feet, 11 inches tall, <laughs> with red hair and blue eyes. And he has a tattoo of a Taurus bowl head with a Roman numeral on his left shoulder. And there's been multiple sightings at homeless shelters of a young man with red hair and blue eyes. Uh, but every time they try and run one of those leads down, it turns out to not be him. Yeah. So it's not him. Recently, there was a rumor, well, in 2019, there was a rumor going around on the internet that he is living in Boston and that a detective on the case knows about it. His family, they have a Facebook group called Fine Bryce Lapizia and Las Pisa, Las Pisa, maybe I'm going to say it like that. Anyway, his family reports that that is absolutely not true. No detective on the case is aware of his location or if he's alive or dead. And, you know, that they have no idea who started that rumor, but it's really harmful to their case and really bothersome, you know, that that's those kinds of things are happening. But anyway, they are still really actively searching and hoping that people will, you know, watch for their son and look at his picture and see if that looks like somebody that they've seen because uh, he clearly wasn't himself you know, when he disappeared. And so one thing they do is they have, they act for random acts of kindness uh, in their son's name. That's really cool. Really sweet. Cause he was a really uh, generous giving kid Mm -hmm. that would do nice things for other people uh, constantly for his family and everybody around him. So that's what they've done. They ask for a random acts of kindness in Bryce's name. But at any rate, I mean, that's the whole case. There's there's really nothing else to go on. That's what happened. And his mm-hmm. family still has no clue where this kid is, if he's alive or dead, and really what happened. So sad. Wow. Well, you know, he he was having a psychotic break. Yeah. And I do feel that he, he tried some self-medication with the alcohol and with the Vyvanse. He knew something was wrong with him, but he didn't know what. Something just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like after the car accident, I do feel like the car accident was an attempt at suicide. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was trying to kill himself. It was not successful. Um, I feel like he got up on the road and that he hitchhiked and got into a car. And that he was taken somewhere else. I do feel that he has 
killed himself, that he is gone. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like any of these sightings are him. I feel like he um, rode in a car with some people for a while, but he was really um, scary and acting weird. And they finally just kicked him out in the middle of nowhere. He didn't even know where he was. I feel like he wandered around alone for a while. Um, but I do, I hate to, I, I guess I'm not going to give it. I, I I have the means of suicide, but I'm not going to share it because I just don't know if that's really all that beneficial. But I do feel that um, within just a couple of days of that car accident, he did take his own life and that he was experiencing the onset of a psychotic disorder and that he just really, he did not know what was wrong with him. He didn't know why he was like this. He was trying to get help. He was trying to do what he needed to do for himself. He knew he should get home, but he also didn't really even know how to get home. You know, that's, he kept stopping and, you know, he was so confused and I feel like he was hallucinating some of the time and, um, but yeah, he wasn't under the influence of anything and he was, you know, yeah. able to appear at least somewhat with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like he really, you know, the longer he went, the more he lost his grip on reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What a sad case, really. So sad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. His poor dang family. Yeah. Awful to be that far away from him and have something like that happen. Right. And I'm sure that it, they just probably fought over and over with themselves about, do we try and get to him? No, because he's coming to us. Right. And well, and pretty well, I mean, he'd get on the phone and act pretty normal, you know, right. And make them think, okay, he really is okay. He can get here. He was just trying to cover and trying to get himself there. He yeah. knew something wasn't right. But at the same time, had they tried to come and find him, I don't think they would have because I, I think he was taking weird wandering routes and, mm-hmm. you know, stopping for hours and doing all this weird stuff they did. I don't think they would have found him. I don't either. I don't either. And yeah, but but I just I keep feeling like they mom and dad had multiple conversations. I'm getting in the car. No, let's wait. No, I'm going to, you know, because right. you know, they were not knowing what's the right thing to do here. Yeah. Well, and of course, mm-hmm. they had been in contact with ISP. Yeah. you know, or, or CSP trying yeah. to, uh, <laughs> trying to, uh, you know, get some help. It's really too bad that, uh, the police hadn't been able to detain him, you know, right. again, he wasn't really, they had no reason to, you know, he no, was, I mean, there was nothing they could do. He no. wasn't, he didn't give them a reason to detain him. Mm-hmm. That's what's really hard with um, a, a mental health break like this yeah. is that, you know, unless you're threatening yourself or somebody else, the police really cannot do anything. You know, you have rights and he's an adult and, you know, he, he has the right to go home or not or contact his mom right. or not. He doesn't have to do anything. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the hard part. I mean, yeah. those those rules are there for our protection, mm-hmm. but they also mean that in cases like this. You know, somebody might not get help when they need it, but you can't. How are you to know? Yeah, you can't. No. Well, shoot, that is a sad one. And so much love to his family and and hope that at some point they will get that closure that they need. Because uh, I feel like his body has been found. It just hasn't been identified as him. I feel like it, it, it's a suicide that was found. I keep seeing lots and lots of trees and it's a, it's a small rural place and this is an unidentified body, but I do feel his body has actually already been found. 
Oh, good. Hopefully it'll make it through forensics. That's one thing that we've learned through doing a lot of uh, the true crime work is sometimes these bodies will be found in rural areas and they don't make it through the forensics uh, for years, years yeah. and years. There was a body in here in Idaho that was found in 2012 that was just recently identified. Yeah. 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 Because uh, rural areas don't have the forensics to do it themselves. Yeah. And larger areas are so overwhelmed with the amount of forensics that they have to do that sometimes some of these uh, John Doe's and Jane Doe's will take a back seat for a long time. And so, right. Right. Well, and I feel like this is one of those situations, but I do feel eventually he will be identified. Mm -hmm. and at least yeah, give his family some um, some closure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, there you have it. That is the case of Bryce. Well, Christy, thank you very much for that. You guys, we will uh, be back this week on Wednesday night for our uh, live stream and case updates. And then we'll be back mm -hmm. Thursday night, of course, for the psychic hour. So, yes. um, you know, the five great episodes from us this week, of course. And as always, like and subscribe, share if you feel drawn. Come join our Facebook page uh, and our Facebook group, True Crime Paranormal Discussion Group. Uh, it's where we talk about cases and share stuff. And mm -hmm. we have fun stuff going on this week because we mm -hmm. are nearing a nearly two, a big milestone. And that is 30,000 yeah. podcast downloads. Yeah. We're also creeping right up on 3,000 YouTube subscribers. So we are. when we get to those numbers, we're going to give away some True Crime Paranormal t-shirts and celebrate. Mm -hmm. So. It's yeah, that's that's big news for us. So you want to yeah. want to hang out and hear more about that. Yeah, we're we're very excited. So thanks you all very very much for being here. And of course, this has been True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. Thanks, guys. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.